Thank you, praise team. Is that better or worse now they can hear me? And uh, Pastor Bob, we appreciate you. We're, we're wanting to make sure that you guys all know Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob's recently come on staff with us it's in an unpaid capacity, a part-time capacity, but he's our pastor of prayer. Uh, pastor Bob served in senior pastor and in associate roles uh, for many years in Pennsylvania. And that's right, he is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, but we're praying that God will convert him. Tell them about your shirt. What's it say? On Sunday, okay, well that's good, uh, but we're thankful for him. He, he's joined us in the ministry of prayer, and, and his um, cell number, his email is available to you, and we encourage you, uh, if you have a particular prayer concern that you want him to join you in praying for, uh, that is his role. We believe in prayer in the church, right? Right? Well, yeah, kind of. We believe in prayer at the church, right? And this is a way that uh, you, can, you can utilize uh, Brother Bob and, and, and get to know him better and just share his request. Anything, any prayer requests that you give him, uh, he's not going to tell anybody. I mean, it's going to be completely confidential unless you ask him to share it to the general congregation or share it with me. I, I, I'm saying this, if you just want to share something with him and not even go to the senior pastor, that's okay. Uh, uh, be confidential in your prayer if you want to, but he will be completely confidential with it. If you want him to share it in other avenues, he will. Anybody ever take a class that was a waste of time? Yeah. Is anybody, if, Spencer, don't raise your hand. All your classes are important and matter. All those math classes, you'll need them at some point in your life. I can remember when I was, um, when I was younger, when I was uh, a junior or sophomore in high school, I always thought, well, I, you know, a lawyer is what I wanted to be, and that, that seemed to be the track I was on. But then when I got to my senior year in high school, I thought, well, you know, it's not really realistic. You know, there's no lawyers in my family. You know, I'd be kind of a trailblazer. Uh, you know, nobody does that. All we have in our family is pastors, and, you know, who would want, you know, a lawyer would be far-fetched. So I decided that perhaps I could do accounting work. And... Uh, Terry, don't laugh. She's already laughing. So in college, my first two years, I started taking accounting classes. And then I began to realize what it takes to be an accountant. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm not someone that could sit for hours at a computer and look at a screen. You know, and my, my wife can sit and look at a computer screen and just be as happy as she can be, tin keen, entering numbers, but I'm not quite wired that way. Give me about 30 minutes in front of a, a computer screen and I'm ready to go through the roof. <laughs> and so I realized pretty quickly that these accounting classes that I was taking, although they were great information, was going to be a waste of time for me in my career path. Nobody wants to waste their time. You know, we, we want to make our time matter. When we take classes, when we do things like that, we, we want it to be for something that matters. We've been talking about our physical life being limited. Our, our physical life is limited, and, and, and most of us realize that. We, we see that every day, that, that we live in bodies that are physically fading. I, I saw this cartoon. This lady says, I'm getting so old that all my friends in heaven will think I didn't make it. I kind of like that. We realize that we live in limited physical bodies. All of us are aging. All of us are showing uh, different signs of age. All of us are waking up with different aches and pains. If you woke up with a different ache and pain this morning, raise your hand, right? 
You know, we all understand that, that these physical bodies are limited. They're not made for eternity. Just past, this past week, we, where's my cousin? Where's Patty? That's my cousin, if you know Patty. I'm proud of Patty. Let me tell you what. This is one of the smartest people you could ever, you need to introduce yourself. She's one of the smartest people I've, I've ever known. But Patty and I's Uncle Ray passed away. Well, he was smarter than both of us. He was probably smarter than both of us combined, wasn't he? My Uncle Ray passed away, and we were at his funeral, and it reminded me of the brevity of life. You know, anytime you go to a funeral, you're, you're, you're reminded that, you know, we're just here for a short time. As James says, life is but a vapor, and then it's gone. But just because our physical life is limited does not mean that our life does not matter because we believe that we are eternal even though our physical is not eternal and so our limited life increases the value of today. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. All we have is today. And today is precious and valuable and should be meaningful. Now, Paul writes in Ephesians 5.16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. In other words, you know, it's chaotic and it's evil and, and life is devoid of meaning for so many people. But in the opportunity of today that we have, make it matter. Make it effective. And, and so the question we've been dealing with on this series is how will I live today? What will I feel my life with because we understand that we can we can fill our life with temporary things or eternal things and and I understand as a pastor sometimes messages can can create a false sense of guilt and 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 so when you say things like that people are going well you know watching if I watch any tv today then 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 I'm filling my life with temporary and there'd be this false guilt you know I understand that there's a an aspect of our life that may be temporary but but there needs to be a focus or an emphasis or a an intentional desire to fill our life with something that is eternal because today could be spent on eternal or temporary things. You have the choice. You can fill your life, you can spend your life on things that will matter for eternity. Or you can fill your life and consume your life with things that will only, be, will only matter for temporary things. Now 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this, Now faith, hope, and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love so, so we have these these three great words in, in in Christian thought faith hope and love and and faith hope and love are connected virtues they're connected ideals they're connected uh, characteristics in people you know scripture connects the ideals of, of faith and hope particularly in Hebrews 11 uh, we see faith and hope uh, worked out together. It says in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, that the very essence of faith is this hope of, of things that we don't see, things that are to be. Then verse 6 of Hebrews 11 says, And without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So, so you see, faith 
and hope very particularly working together in this passage. It's faith and and hope that works together in the life of the believer that that gives them this life of, of Christ, full of Christ. And I think it's pretty simple for us to, when we, we hear the words faith and hope, to see how they work together. You know, faith, trust, hope, believe, all those ideals, all those virtues, all those characteristics. In Galatians 5, 5 through 6, Paul once again uses all of these virtues, all of these characteristics together. And beginning in verse 5, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. In other words, once again, Paul's connecting faith, hope, and love. Not only are they connected virtues, and we'll talk more about how they're connected a little bit later in the sermon, but they are eternal virtues. The New American Standard Version uses in 1 Corinthians 13 the word abide, which is a word to stay, to remain. But the New Living Translation says it like this, Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love are eternal virtues. Now, as I thought about this, and you know, I've come from a, a funeral of an uncle, and, and I think about, think about those people in your past that have made an eternal difference in your life. Patty and I share a grandmother, Emily Moore. Emily Moore exemplified faith, hope, and love. She's been dead, I believe now, 25 years. It'll be February, it'll be 25 years she passed away. And I am still impacted by the life of Emily Moore. Now, now she wrote a journal, and, and we sang the, the second song we sang today, include the words. And, and, and she had, Dan and Emily had 14 kids. And I said in the first service, I know compared to the Green family, they're lightweights. But 14 kids is more than I would want to have. What about you? Uh, Ten of them survived, and four of them died in infancy. And and my grandmother, uh, Emily Moore, wrote a journal. And in the journal, every time a child would die, she would write this. She, She would say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes, takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And i got to tell you, every time I hear that phrase, I think about my grandma more because of the difference she has made in my life and in your life, Patty, and the life of my kids because of her faith, her hope, her love, her trust, her belief, her life, her prayers. She has made an internal impact upon generations of people. So think about those people that, that have intersected your life. That, that when you think back, this is the individual that has changed the course of my life. Is their life marked by faith, hope, and love? I would venture to guess that, that almost everyone in this room has had a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a grandparent, a, a spouse, someone whose life is marked by faith, hope, and love, and they've made an eternal difference in your life. 
these characteristics are eternal virtues, eternal characteristics. So, so what is faith? Faith is to be persuaded. Uh, faith is having an assurance, a trust in someone or something. And there are levels of faith. When it snows, I have faith, trust in my cruddy green Ford Explorer. It's ugly, it's beat up, it's got nearly 170,000 miles on it, but I trust it. <laughs> I know when I get on the road, I'm not going to go in the ditch like they did on 33 today, right? So I have a level of faith, trust. If you get sick, you will go to the doctor. And the doctor, doctor will scribble on a little piece of paper, and you will not be able to read what he scribbles, right? Or she scribbles. And you will take it to the pharmacist, and somehow they have magic powers, and they can read the scribble on that piece of paper. And you'll give it to them, and you'll wait for, you know, 20 minutes or 20 hours, however long it takes your pharmacist. And, and they will go back in a back room in Kroger or Walgreens or Walmart or Meyer, wherever you get your prescription filled. And then they will come out with a, a little bottle. It'll have little pills in it or, or something that you drink that you will have no idea what it really is. Right? And you'll take it. <laughs> that is faith. You're trusting a doctor, you're trusting a pharmacist, you're trusting a pill to make a difference in your life. You're trusting that medicine will be pure. Biblical faith is when we fully trust God. That we look back at the God of our past, we look at the God of the Bible and the God of our history, and we say, we can put our faith in him. God is faithful and trustworthy. Did anybody see uh, Pastor Saeed has been released from Iran? Praise uh, It's been the fall of 2000. I was at Beaver Creek Church of the Nazarene, and we had a Southwest Ohio district with the former district I was on and we had a joining and Nagma was is Saeed's wife and we gathered in and she shared about Saeed and what was going on and then we gathered around her and prayed. Let me tell you what, uh, there, there's those events you know you have in your life that are like, whoa, it was one of those events. It, it was like, it was like when, when, when you, you talked about persecution, it was like talking to Nagma and praying with her and listening to her talk about Saeed. It was like the Apostle Paul was standing in the middle of a church and sharing. You know what she talked about? God is faithful. You know, the circumstances didn't bear that out. Saeed was in jail, and there was no sight, no, no indication, no inclination that he was going to be released. But in the midst of that, she was saying, I know my God is faithful. That's faith. Tr trusting God regardless of circumstances of the present, because the God of the past is worthy of our faith, our trust, our belief. Trust 
Or hope is a little bit different. Uh, Hope is the belief that something will happen. So, there's levels of hope, just like there's levels of faith, there's levels of hope. I, I believe, I have hope that Urban Meyer will simply reload at OSU, right? We don't know that, but, but we have this hope that, that we believe that next year I will be able to preach to happy people on Sunday mornings because the Buckeyes have won. I have hope when I go to the doctor that he will have a solution uh, for, for what's ailing me, for, for any sickness, for you know, what, whatever's going on. I have a hope that, that he'll have an ideal or she'll have an ideal of what's going on. <laughs> Biblical hope is expecting God to keep his promises. Can we go back to Nagma? Nagma had faith. Because she had seen her God and she knew who he was. But she also had hope. You know, I can remember, and I'm going to make a confession that pastors shouldn't make. You know, I should be that person that's full of hope, right? Somebody say amen, right? You know, I should be like, oh, the most hopeful person in the world. But I got to tell you, as I heard her speak and she said, Saeed's going to be released. You know, I'm thinking political environment, Iran, boy, there's not much likelihood of that. (laughs) Hope says God will keep his promises. Now, all these promises in the word, God will keep them. God is faithful, and he will finish what he has started in your life. God is faithful. Now, when you think of biblical hope, and, and, and the promises of God, there, there's so many. I mean, there, there's the hope of, of resurrection. And later in this, this series, we'll, we'll talk about the great hope of again. <laughs> you know, and, and this, is, this is a word that's just resonating with me. You know, it seems like we, we've done a lot of funerals lately. And, and, and every time I, I do a funeral, I always feel like saying, but we have the hope of again. That this is not the end, but there's coming a day when there's a resurrection and there's, there's, there's heaven and there's, there, there's, we're family again. And it's not goodbye forever, but it's just goodbye for a time. The hope of again. The, the book of Revelation. And, and see, people take that book and, and they, they make charts with it. And, and that's fine if you, people are interested in that. I, I, I'm not smart enough, I guess, to make the charts. But Revelation's not about charts and trying to figure everything out, but Revelation's about hope. God's saying, I want you to know, there may be all sorts of chaos and mess and persecution and tribulation and trial and death and destruction, but I want you to know at the end of it all, I'm going to stand and I'm going to wipe every tear from your eye. Hope. Biblical hope is expecting God to keep his promises. God will keep his promises. So faith, hope, what what is love? 1 Corinthians 13, and we have all sorts of definitions of love. Um, You know, you you have the lifetime channel love. Who likes lifetime channel? Raise your hand. Can we pray for you folks after the service? Terry, raise your hand. You know you like it. We had to get Dish Network 
just for Hallmark and Lifetime. <laughs> what was what was came on the other day, but you didn't watch it? Oh, what's the guy that did the karate? Chuck Norris. What was it called? You guys know. You guys all know. It's probably DVR at home. Who? Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah. Yeah. Every time Walker would get in one of those karate fights with those people when he's trying to arrest him, I'd look at Terry and go, you're under arrest. You know, why doesn't he just carry a gun and pull his gun and arrest the pokes? What was I talking about, Craig? Love. <laughs> love is putting up with me. <laughs> you know, there's all these definitions of love. We have emotional love. We have sexual love. We have romantic love. We, you know, and we're bombarded so much with the word love that I'm not even sure at times I know and we know what love really is. We sing about it. We write poetry about it. We, we have television shows about it. And, and, and love is such a, you know, it's, it's not just all these things that our culture wants to make it. And the scripture here, it's using that great Greek word agape love, this God-like love. And, and there's um, Judah Smith as a pastor at City Church in Seattle, and, and I, it's probably still on their website. He preached a sermon a few years ago, maybe about a year ago, that was what is love. And he said that the sermon ideal was, God, is God love or is love God? <laughs> In other words, these ideals of love can, can determine our view of God, but he was saying God should determine our view of love. When you see God, you see love. God is love. Not love is God. God is love. And this agape, God-like love is not a love about, um, just about emotions and, and what, about, what you, can, you can gain from other people, but it's love that is giving of myself to others and to God. It's this self-giving. And so when Paul's talking about faith, those are the things he's talking about. He's talking about putting our trust in God. He's talking about believing that God will keep his promises. And, and he's saying that the, the eternal nature, that, that the greatest of these is this ideal of, of self-giving of oneself. It's where we're all going. It's where, it's where, where the, the Christian walk is taking us, this ideal of giving of ourselves for God and for other people. Now, I, I think it's easy to see how faith and hope are connected. You know, I, I've read this scripture a hundred times, and and i got to tell you, every time I've, I've always been a little bit baffled, not by the connection between faith and hope, but the connection between faith, hope, and love. And not only that, I've always been a little bit baffled by the idea that somehow love is superior to faith and hope. You know, the greatest of these, the most important part is love. Now, as I thought about this passage, and I thought about today, both in terms of the series and in terms of what we were going to talk about today, I, I think it's easy to see how trust and faith, although it's situated in today, faith is animated primarily by yesterday. That, that somehow we, we, we have faith in this day, but this faith in this day is primarily animated by who God has been in the past. 
We, we look at this God of the past, and, and we see the God that's, that's uh, portrayed in Scripture. We see the God who's, who's intersected our historical life. Well, we see Christ on the cross, and we say, that God can be trusted. I will put my faith today in Him. And hope is animated by the future. Hope is this ideal that, that God will do something. That, that even though life seems chaotic right now, there's coming a day when God will set things straight. There, there's coming a day when there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more departing, no more separation, and God will make things right. God has been true, and God will be true. And although hope and faith are situated in the present, they're animated by the future and the past. Love is different. Love is faith and hope tangibly expressed in the present. Love is all about today. It, love is when I can say, God is faithful. God has kept his promises. I can put my trust in him and he will keep his promises. Whatever he says he will do, he will do and he will finish what he starts. And since God will finish what he starts and I can trust him, I can give. I think it goes back to James. You know, James says what? Faith without deeds is dead. I don't think it would be improper to read James in this way. Faith without love is dead. See, I think that's the deeds James talking about. James not just talking about, oh, let's go do some good things. But James is saying your faith has to result in something. And that faith should result in this ultimate action, this ultimate virtue, this ultimate characteristic of love. See, love is not based on the circumstances of the moment. Because in the moments we find ourselves, if we wait until the moment is right to love, till the circumstances are perfect, it's like I can remember people saying, Well, I'm going to wait till the circumstances are right to have kids. If Terry and I would have waited till the circumstances were right to have kids, we would still not have kids. Love's the same way. If we wait until all the circumstances are perfect, till everything's just lined up, then we'll never love. See, see, love is an expression of faith and hope. I can trust God. God has proven himself trustworthy. And, and, and since I can trust God and I have hope in God, I can love. You know what praise is? Praise is love expressed. When we sing in here, and I got to tell you, I've struggled over the years with the idea of praise. And oftentimes, I'll just be honest, you guys get to just see me kind of think these things out. 
You know, I'm sure God will still reveal things to me and change how I think on, on, on different aspects of Christianity and, and faith. But, you know, praise was one of those things I always wondered about because, you know, sometimes we made God come off as, as if he was this needy teenage boy or girl. That his ego was so low that he was waiting for us to say, oh, you're so great, God. Anybody ever feel like that? <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one. You know, praise is not about God, it's about you. See, praise is this expression of a love towards our Heavenly Father in faith and hope that allows us to see who He really is. Those of you who are married, you ever just stop and um, start thinking about the good things that your spouse adds to your life, the value, the love, the, the significance your spouse gives you, and it allows you to love them more. Anybody ever have that happen? Do it sometime. It's a good thing to do. Once in a while, think about all the things that Terry, poor Terry, I think that's a good thing to say. Say that with me, poor Terry, right? You know, who I am as a pastor and who I am as a father and who as I am as a man is directly related to my wife. I mean, I look at her virtues and her characteristics, and when I, when I focus on those things, it's not like I'm needing to build her up, but it's, it's helping me to see how important our love is for each other. And it's the same with praise. When you come into this place, when, when, there's, when, when we're full of faith and we're full of hope and we have this understanding of who God is, it's not about the circumstances of the moments, because oftentimes there's no good circumstances to worship or praise. But when we begin to lift these songs and lift our hands and, and, and lift our voices, it's an opportunity to see our Heavenly Father as someone who supremely loves us and allows us to love Him back. This is an awesome story. I, th I think it's in Acts, I've got it in my notes, 16. Paul and Silas are in Philippi. You guys have heard it. It's a familiar story. And, and they're trying to evangelize. They're spreading the good word, good news. And, and all of a sudden they get arrested because they're messing with somebody's business. And they get thrown in jail and they get beat. And they're in the basement of the jail. And they're shackled together. And then the scripture says, and then Paul and Silas begin to sing praise songs and pray. That was not a circumstance for a worship service, right? Full of faith full of hope, that they knew who God was and they knew what God would do. And in the midst of faith and hope, they could express their love towards Him in praise. About loving each other. Loving each other means that we are secure in our faith in God. That as we love each other, we can believe God for who He is, and we know how God has been faithful, and, and we know that God will come true through with every promise that He's made, that, that He's true and just, and we, we can trust Him to let go of things. And it's in this letting go of things that we can begin to really love each other. John 13 tells us, awesome story. And I got to tell you, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's, it's the last night Jesus is with the disciples and they, they come in to the um, upper room and, you know, they've been walking all day and their feet are dirty. 
And Jesus does this thing that some churches have made kind of a, a, a service, uh, you know, a foot washing service. If you're glad we don't do foot washing services, raise your hand, you know. That's... But Jesus wasn't trying to institute a ritual. Jesus was just practically meeting a need. See, it, it, when they were walking around, it, it was hygiene, it was, it was medicinal, it was making sure there was no sign of infection, it was making sure that everything was okay. It was a need. And nobody would meet that need. None of the other disciples would lower themselves to the point where they would wash one of the other disciples' feet. They were waiting for somebody else to do it. But what's interesting about the scripture, it's, you know, Jesus is expressing love. It's something, it's meeting a practical need. Love is giving of yourself to meet the practical need of someone else. That's what love is. But the interesting part of the scripture is, and, and I got to tell you, I, I, I look at the scripture often because it, it's just such an, you wonder why it's included like, why it's worded like this. But John says something to the effect, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew whom's he was, whose he was, whom's he was. <laughs> he knew who he belonged to. Jesus knew where he had come from, and Jesus knew where he was going. Faith and hope. Jesus was full of faith and hope. And because he was full of faith and hope, he could express this love, which was tangible, tangibly expressed in practical service, self-giving to others. Let me ask you. Is, is your ability to love limited because you do not understand who God is? Is it possible in your life that, that love's not being expressed simply because you're not secure in the God uh, of your past and the God of your future, that the God who loves you so intimately? I love the song we sang, Good, Good Father. The, the phrase says, and I am loved by him. It's who I am. That's who you are. You're someone who is dearly loved by your heavenly Father. John always would include, can, can talk to himself in the Gospels. John the Apostle, he'd say, John, or he'd say, that the disciple that Jesus loved. I want you to know this morning, you are the disciple that Jesus loved. Wherever you find yourself, whatever the circumstance you, you face this week, you are someone that God dearly loves. Maybe you have trouble believing that how, or seeing God as he sees you, or maybe you have trouble thinking that God will keep his promises, but these things are barriers to love. We're going to close with communion this morning. I'm going to ask Amy to come and play. And Bob, if you could uncover that for me. Let me read some scripture for you first. And this is out of 1 Corinthians 11. And I, if you don't know me by now, I love communion. It connects us with the greater church. It connects us with churches all over the globe today are receiving communion. 
It says very practically, this is bigger than us. Throughout Marysville today, there are other churches that will be receiving communion. And by receiving communion here, one of the things we are saying is our differences are less than what makes us one. There is one communion, one body. When we get to heaven, folks, there's not going to be a Nazarene section. Hope there'll be some Nazarenes there. We're one. And not only that, 1 Corinthians 11, this is probably one of the oldest New Testament books. Before the Gospels, 1 Corinthians. And what it tells us is this, is, is before the New Testament church, before the early church even had a New Testament, the believers were gathering around this feast. It's sacred. It's a sacrament. It's something holy and significant because we believe we encounter Christ. And I, and I believe it forms something within us. But Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians, For I pass on to you from what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Communion causes us to remember. And I love in this passage because the remembering that, that Paul is talking about is the past and the future. He said, I want you to take this and I want you to remember there was a day that I died on a cross for you. Remember, our God is faithful. But then it's full of hope too. He says, but I also want you to remember, remember that I'm coming again. This isn't the end. This is an interlude between this moment on the cross and then this time when history comes to an end and Jesus splits the sky and we're reunited with our Heavenly Father. Remember. Deny that. Communion reminds us that it's all about relationships. Why is love superior? It's the point of it all. It's why... The center of our worship is not just somebody giving you information, but the center of our worship is this time where we gather and eat together. It's significant. Jesus is saying, when you gather, I, I, want, you to, I want you to celebrate this feast where I sit at the head of the table and, and you're loving me and you're loving each other. It's formative. It's not supposed to end here, but it's supposed to animate how we live into our week that we're people who have open tables, hospitable people, people who love one another. It's significant. So we're going to receive communion today by intention. And 
And what that means is we'll, we'll stand, have them stand, stand with me if, if you will. And the ushers will dismiss you from the back. I'm going to pray with us. Uh, we're an open communion people, which means that you don't have to be a member here to receive communion. Uh, you just have to be someone who's sincerely pursuing this relationship with God. And, and what we'll do is you'll come forward and you'll, you'll dip the bread in the juice. If you're wondering, we use fruit juice, not wine, okay? You dip it in the juice and you eat it as you go back. I'm going to pray with us and, um, and then we'll begin receiving. Lord, help us now to turn our attention to you. Help us now in this moment to see you as the center of all that we do. And Lord, as you form the center, you create people with a mind like yours, who love like you do, who love each other. Help us, Lord, to love you and to love each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.